Thank you, James. Thanks, guys. Good morning, everybody. Great to have you here this Thanksgiving weekend. If you're uh, visiting today, I want to especially say thank you for being here. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving with friends and family. I'm exhausted. Uh, I've got my grandkids uh, uh, all weekend, and I love them dearly, but I'm, and then I told somebody this morning when I came in that I have a tryptophan hangover. They didn't catch the first part. They said, you're hungover. I said, no, no, it's a turkey hangover. I'm fine. I really am, but uh, well, hopefully we'll get through this this morning. Um, and I'm excited about what we're going to be in. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 17. If you've got your Bible, open that up. We'll get there in just a moment. And Archie's going to come right now. We're going to take our offering. Uh, if this is your church, I encourage you to give to uh, support what God's doing here. Give out of thankfulness. If you're a guest today, again, don't feel obligated to give in any way. This service is our gift to you. I want to remind you, in the bulletin today, too, there's an envelope. should be a Christmas offering envelope. We're uh, trying to raise 50000 55000 between now and the end of the year. We had 5000 or so come in this last week. Thank you. And uh, we're trying to do some improvements. And we're going to give 10% of it away to uh, missions as well, to world missions. So uh, thank you for being a part of that. Um, we'll wrap it up today, our 50 Days of uh, Transformation. It's a series we've been in. This is week 8, part 8. And uh, it's been encouraging, I hope, for you. I know for a lot of us it's been life-changing. The small groups have been great. I've enjoyed uh, going to one in our, my neighborhood and being a part of that as well. Today, though, we're going to finish it up by taking a look at how to face and overcome giants in our lives. How to face and overcome giants. And like I said, we'll be in 1 Samuel chapter 17. It's in the Old Testament. Joshua judges Ruth, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel. If you knew the Bible, look it up in the table of contents, and you'll find the page. We'll be in 1 Samuel 17 in just a bit. And also on the wall, on the racks uh, by the, the doors, we've got Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, please take one as our gift. We want you to have the Word of God. One of the most famous stories, though, in the Bible is right here in 1 Samuel chapter 17, the story of David and Goliath. And even if you didn't grow up in church, even if you haven't really been uh, uh, exposed to the Bible much, you've probably heard the story of David and Goliath. Now, let me just be real here. I doubt that any of you have actually faced a real live giant in your life. If you have, come and see me afterwards. I want to hear your story. That would be awesome. But most of us have probably not faced physical giants that we've had to battle and war against in our lives. But all of us, and I'm pretty safe in saying all of us have had to face some sort of giant, something that's bigger than us, something that felt and looked like a giant to us. I recently prayed with a woman, in fact, just a few weeks ago down front, who's battling cancer, and she's, uh, her prognosis is pretty good. She's encouraged by that, but it's a scary thing. And it's a huge physical and financial, a medical giant in her life. And, and at being a cancer survivor, I can relate to her story. I know what she's facing. Another person sent me an email not too long ago. He's 56, 57 years old and just got laid off from a job he's been at for 25 years. And he emailed me and said, Pastor Kurt, pray for me. There's not a lot of guys out there, companies looking for 57-year-olds, and I'm not sure I can find a job that's equal to what I've been doing and the money, I'm sure I'm going to take a cut. And he was worried, he's facing a financial giant in his life. And then just about every week, we get prayer requests. Um, in fact, every week we get prayer requests, but almost every week there's something to do with a relationship. The tear-off tab in your bulletin. If you miss the bucket, again, there's black boxes. You can drop those off on your way out today. But we get these tear-off tabs where people in just a short, say, uh, prayer request, say, pray for, pray for my marriage or pray for my son, a wayward kid or a wayward child that's going bad. All of us. The point is, all of us have had to face giants from time to time. So we're going to take a look at this story of David and Goliath as a metaphor, so to speak, that would help us uh, see how we can face and overcome the giant size struggles and obstacles in our life. So here's today's big uh, idea. It's on the back side of your outline if you want to follow and take some notes today. The big idea, when faced with a challenge, hardship, or adversity, God can help us overcome these giants. 
When faced with something that's bigger than us, God is bigger, and he can help us overcome. I'm tempted to read the entire 1 Samuel 17, the chapter to you. It's 58 verses long. If I did, some of you would probably take a nap because you are suffering from the holiday blues as well. But for the sake of time, let me paraphrase, and I'll read portions from 1 Samuel 17. But let me give you some of the background. The Philistines, and they are the antagonists, they're the bad guys. The Philistines are at war with the Israelites. And this was a long-standing battle between them. Uh, they, they never got along. And the Philistine army is on one side of a valley. The Israelite army is on the other side. And they're getting ready to go at it. The Philistines send forward their WWF guy, their World Federation champion. He's over nine feet tall. And he's massive, and not only in size, but just the weight of his armor. Somewhere between 125 and 200 pounds. And for 40 days, that's six weeks, almost six weeks, Goliath came out to the front of his side of the, the army on his side of the valley and would yell at the Israelites and curse them and challenge them. And he would tell them to send out their best champion. Let's just do this man on man, mano a mano. Just send out your best guy and we'll just fight and see whoever wins takes everything. In verse 11 of 1 Samuel 17, it says, On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Every time, and in fact, he came out twice a day, once in the morning and once a night, every time Goliath showed up and cursed them and challenged them and, and defied them, they reacted with fear and terror. They took off. About this point, we see David show up. David is the youngest son of Jesse. Uh, he's a shepherd teenager. He's a boy. He's not a full-grown man. He's not been a battle-seasoned, hardened veteran by any means. He shows up. His father, Jesse, had sent him there with food for his three older brothers who are actually in Saul's army. And David arrives just in time to hear Goliath spout off and, and curse the armies of the living God, as he put it. And David was not happy with what he saw or heard. So let me pick it up in verse 26 of 1 Samuel 17. David asked the men standing near him, some of the army, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now keep in mind, David is a shepherd boy. He's a teenager. He's not in the army. He shows up and he says to the guys, hey, what's the deal? Who, what, do you, what do I get if I take this guy out? Now, in another part of the passage, we find out that Saul had promised one of his daughters, so you get a princess and you get tax-free living for the rest of your life. Pretty good deal. So David asks, you know, what's the deal? What's going to happen? Well, verse 27, they repeated to him what they'd been saying. You get a princess and you get tax-free living and told him this is what shall be done for the man who kills Goliath. Verse 28 when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. And my first thought is, what battle? <laughs> Every time Goliath showed up, the Israelites ran and hid in fear. So it's not like there's this big old battle going on. So Eliab's exaggerating just a bit, and he's being a jerk. He's being the, the oldest brother. Now, I am the oldest brother. I've got two younger brothers and a baby sister, and I can tell you sometimes we, I picked on my siblings. I was bigger, I was smarter, I am way more handsome than they were, and so I, of course I picked on them. And Eliab just gives David a, an earful. He rails on his little brother. But somebody must have heard. Maybe the guy standing there heard what David said, and so it gets back to King Saul. Hey, there's this little rugrat kid, this is shepherd boy, who thinks he can take Goliath. So let's pick it up with David and Saul's conversation in verse 32. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. 
Saul replied, and I'm sure with a little bit of laughter, maybe a big smile, or dismay, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, a teenager. And he has been a warrior from his youth. So Saul goes, who are you kidding? What are you thinking? You can't do this. There's, this guy would kill you. He'll eat you up. Verse 34, but David said to Saul, keep mind, shepherd boy, to King Saul. Said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it and struck it down and rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair. I love this picture. Can you imagine grabbing the bear by the hair? I grabbed this, grabbed by the hair and struck it and killed it. Your servant will kill both the lion and the bear. I've killed him, done them both. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. Verse 37, the Lord, and keep in mind, I'll come back to this, where's David's focus? The Lord, who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. <laughs> Oy vey, go, I hope it works out. At first, Saul said, kid, you're kidding yourself. There's no way. And David's reply was basically, I know God, and I know that he will deliver me. David said, I know God, and I know that he can rescue me. And Saul says, okay, go for it, kid. I hope the Lord is with you. And then Saul came up with this idea, and I'm going to just paraphrase it. It said, you know, you, I guess Saul felt a little bit of obligation to help him a little bit. So, well, why don't you try my armor on? Now, Saul was a big man. He was very tall, probably one of the tallest men in Israel. And David, again, a shepherd, teenage boy, and, and Saul says, well, at least try my armor on. So we see this picture of David putting on, again, the armor of King Saul, which should have been an honor, but it's way too big and too cumbersome, and, and David wasn't used to it. David says, no, pass, I'm not gonna do that. So what happens? Well, David, with nothing but a slingshot and five smooth stones, goes after Goliath. Lesson there is, use what God has given you. Don't try to use somebody else's stuff, but use what God's provided. But Goliath sees David, and he gets mad. He's just livid. And he tells David, I'm gonna feed you to the birds of the air, boy. Let's pick up verse 45. David said to the Philistine, does this David now at Goliath, you come against me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Verse 47, all those gathered here will know that it is not by the sword of the spear that the Lord says. Let's read that verse again, verse 47. David says, everybody standing here is gonna know this. It's not by the sword or the spear that the Lord says, for the battle is the Lord's. David knew the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. <laughs> the Philistine wasn't impressed. Verse 48, as the Philistine moved closer to attack David, and I'm sure he's mad and he's, he's, he's ready to go at it, just to smoke this little boy. David ran quickly against, toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. Verse 50, so David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. And as the story goes on, which is a little rated R, he takes Goliath's sword and cuts off his head and takes the head back to Saul. It's kind of gruesome. But here's the point. The Philistine army turned and run and tear and there was triumph that day. And David begins this whole new chapter in his life. He not only faced the giant, he defeated him in the Lord. This young teenage kid, David, the giant killer, can teach us some important lessons about what it takes 
to overcome the giants in our lives. I could probably land on a half dozen things easily from this passage. I'm gonna focus on two for the sake of time. Two very important things, and here's the first thing. What does it take to overcome a giant in your life? Number one, you've gotta learn to listen to the right voice. We must learn, and it's not natural. It's a learned response. We've gotta learn to listen to the right voice. Meaning we've gotta decide who we are going to listen to. And I wanna suggest we gotta decide that early on. Have you ever been in a situation where everybody around you says, this is hopeless? Or maybe they say, you're hopeless, <laughs> it's even worse. Maybe you're at work and somebody says, this is never gonna happen, we're never gonna meet our quota, you're never gonna get this done, we can't solve that problem, it's hopeless. Or maybe a friend says about your marriage, your spouse is never gonna change. It's not worth the effort. Your marriage is over. Just give up. We've got all these voices. Have you noticed how many voices there are in our lives? And by voices, I mean that talk that comes from people from so many different places. First, there's a voice that we call our self-talk. It's the self-voice. And the self-talk is something we experience all the time. You guys, without even thinking about it, have already, right now, you've got self-talk going on in your head. You're thinking, I don't think I do self-talk. That's self-talk. Some of you are thinking about the game that doesn't start for an hour and a half or so. Some of you are thinking about, you know, it looks like Kurt gained 10 pounds over Thanksgiving. He did. You know, you know there's all this talk, all this stuff going on in your head all the time, this self-talk. And, and sometimes that self-talk encourages you. Sometimes it discourages you. Sometimes it reminds us of the truth. Sometimes it reminds us or throws us into a, 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 a tailspin because all we hear are lies from our own, uh, own voice. Speaking of lies, there's another voice that often bombards us with falsehood and doubt, and it's the voice of our enemy. His name is Satan. And make no mistake about it, the Bible's clear on this, the devil, Satan, his, his goal is to destroy you, to take you out. And he, he never says anything nice or encouraging to you. His voice is the voice of the enemy. Then there's a, another third group, another voice, and it's the voice of others. The voice of friends, family, coworkers, people around us in our lives, who sometimes, hopefully, encourage you, but all too often, they demean, demoralize, and disapprove. And they're very discouraging voices to listen to. David experiences all of these negative voices in his life, right here in this chapter. First, his big brother Eliab, verse 28, accused him of being conceited and wicked. Not a very encouraging voice from family. And have you ever noticed sometimes family can be the worst? Anybody besides my family? You know, sometimes they can say, man, it's the people closest to you that can cut you the deepest. And I'm sure that Eliab's voice would have been something that could have cut David, but he didn't listen to that voice. Then we see King Saul in verse 33. says, you can't fight Goliath. You're just a kid and he's a professional warrior. What are you thinking? Not a very supportive, inspiring, and, and encouraging voice from the king. And finally, there's a the voice, voice of Goliath. He despised David, cursed him, and threatened to make him bird food. All these voices in David's life said, forget it. Go home, you can't do this. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? This is, this is stupid. But David, this is what I love about him. David chose to listen to a different and better voice. He chose to listen to the voice of the Lord. And he chose to let that vo voice be the final word in his life. See, when it's all said and done, and I, by, I mean said by everybody else, it's the voice of God that matters most. It's the voice of Jesus that matters most. That's the voice we need to listen to and obey. Jesus said that my sheep hear my voice. And Jesus promised to lead us and to guide us. That's the voice that gives us faith to meet the giants. To meet the giants with 
God confidence, not self-confidence, but confidence in him. David knew the voice of God. Now, we don't know where he learned that. Somewhere out in the wilderness taking care of sheep. Maybe it was while he was writing psalms or singing or worshiping God or I don't know. Maybe it was in quiet moments. Maybe it was other times. But somewhere David learned to listen to the voice of God and to let that voice be the influence and the guiding voice in his life. Above all others, it was God's voice that led David. About 36 years ago, a long time ago, um, back in the dark ages, I was a youth pastor at a church called Faith Center in Eugene, Oregon. 20 years old, went on staff. Why they hired me, I still to this day am surprised and perplexed by that. I wouldn't have hired me, but they did. And they paid me the whopping sum of $600 a month. I'm married, and I'm working very full-time as a youth pastor, and I made $600 a month. Now, some of you are thinking, well, that was back, like, you know, in the really early ages of American history, and that's a lot of money back then. No, it wasn't. Even back then, I lived well below poverty level. And I had a well-meaning friend come to me and in a kind of a gentle, not-so-gentle way said, you know, maybe you should think about getting a real job. You know, pastors only work one day a week, and you know, of course you're not going to make any money, and you need to get a real job. That was one day a week was a joke, by the way, you didn't laugh. Okay, fine, whatever. Said, you know, you know, and I, I mean, I was working hard and long hours and doing a lot. And he said, man, you need to get a def- better team job. God takes care of those, you know, those who take care of themselves was what he said. And by the way, God helps those help themselves is not in the Bible. Not true at all. So I'm struggling. And uh, for the first time in my life, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of, of course, I was only 20, but I'm still dealing with financial fear. We went to a Wednesday night service. Uh, we had church on Wednesday nights. What a crazy idea. But we had a uh, Wednesday night worship service. And I'm at church. And I'm, during this service, I'm standing there worshiping God, trying to do my best to, you know, go through the motions at least, so I'm terrified and, and hurting. And it was an empty seat next to me, about, about halfway through worship, I could sense that somebody came in and sat there, and I looked over, sure enough, as a guy. We got done worshiping God and praising God, and the pastor said, you know, we've been blessing the Lord. I want you to turn and bless somebody else right now. Just say one short thing, there'll be a blessing to somebody. We've been blessing God, let's bless one another. My first thought was, I got nothing. I am, I am not in a mood to bless anybody. I'm struggling here. I'm not happy with life. There's nothing I can say to anybody that's gonna sound anywhere close to godly or blessing. But I turned to this guy, and the first thing I noticed was his eyes. I know it sounds a little weird, but he had these, these piercing eyes. And I looked at this guy, and I thought, wow. And, and then, without blinking, he says, take the dime out of your pocket. My first thought was, how does he know I have a dime in my pocket? My second thought was, and you know, that's self-talk. My second thought was, ain't no way I'm giving this guy my last dime, buddy. I'm poorer than you. Not gonna happen. So that, I mean, this is a nanoseconds, you know, you're thinking these things. So I pull this dime out of my pocket. Sure enough, it's there. And I look down, and he said, what does it say? And I look down, at it, and it, the words leapt. I cannot, it's like, this is all I could see on this dime. In God we trust. It blew me away. Blew me away. I mean, it's just like, boom, in God we trust. And then he looked at me and he said, I I want you to know that God will never forget you. He's promised to be your resource. He'll always be with you. He's gonna take care of every need you have. I mean, I'm just like, who is this guy? And I'm holding this dime and I'm starting, no big surprise, I'm starting to weep. I'm crying over this dime. And I'm thinking, this is amazing that God spoke to me through a guy I don't know and threw a dime in my pocket. Now, by the way, I'm a bit of a sentimental slob. You know that, I, I still have that dime. I've kept it. Yes, it's in my keepsake box. But I have a dime to this day, that, that dime that that guy highlighted that the Lord used in my life to remind me of this truth, that he's with me. I happen to believe that that guy was an angel. If 
not a literal angel, though I'm, I'm pretty sure he was, because uh, I never saw him again. Believe me, I look for him. And the way this guy looked in his eyes, he looked right through me, and the way he spoke, I mean, angel means messenger, so at the very least, he was a messenger from God. And by the way, God did take care of us, and from that moment on, I never uh, was afraid again. But for you, for us, for me, for us to overcome the giants in our lives, we've got to decide who we're gonna listen to. And we need to learn to listen to the voice of the Lord, to the right voice. I don't have time to cover this in depth, but let me quickly give you three ways that God speaks to us. And if you're taking notes on the back of your outline, jot these down. God speaks to us through his word. The first thing you need to know, God speaks to you through his word, through the Bible. And that's why we encourage you all the time, read the word. That's why I said it when I said earlier, I meant it. If you don't have a Bible at home, take one of them out of the rack, take it home. We want you to have the word. We encourage people at five minutes at least every day, 10, 15, 20 minutes would be better, but take time every day to read the Word of God because God speaks to us through the Word. How many times have you read something in a passage and you've read it a thousand times maybe and suddenly you read it and at that moment and that place in your life, on that day, in that situation you face, God spoke to you. How many of you experienced that before? Yeah, I mean, uh, most of us. It's like, it's the Word of God. It's alive and active and God speaks to us. God speaks to us through His Word. Second, He speaks to us through His Holy Spirit. When you become a Christ follower, the Holy Spirit takes residence within you, in your life, in your soul. And if you're investigating Christianity, you go, that sounds a little weird. It's not. It's God dwelling in you. God living within you. God is Holy Spirit. And Jesus said in John 16 that the Holy Spirit would lead us into all truth. That the Holy Spirit would tell us things to come. The Holy Spirit is there to guide you, to comfort you, to speak to you. He speaks to us through his word. He speaks to us through his spirit. And the third way God speaks to, to us is through the godly voices of others. And the key word there is godly. The godly voices of others. If you've got people that are negative and ungodly speaking to you, don't listen to them. <laughs> not good. Not smart. Listen to the godly voices of others. And yes, God can speak through people. That night, Wednesday night of that service, God spoke through that man who I didn't know, never met him again, have no idea what his name is. But God spoke to me through a godly man who invested in me just a simple phrase that I would never forgot. Listen to me, like David, you need to learn to listen to the right voice in your life. Choose to listen to the right voice. Here's the second thing that you need to do to overcome the giants in your life. Number two, you've got to learn to put your eyes on the right person. First, you listen to the right voice, then you put your eyes on the right person. When David was challenged by Saul, he said in verse 37, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the, paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. David told the king that it isn't about me, Saul. It's not about me. It's all about God, the Lord who delivered me. And when David came out against Goliath, listen again to what he said to Goliath, verse 47, 45 to 47. And look, listen for how many times he used the word Lord of God in these couple of verses. You come against me with the sword and the spear and the javelin, but I come against you in the name of, here's the first time, the name of the Lord Almighty. The God of the armies of Israel, whom you defied, this day the Lord, there it is again, will deliver you into my hands. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. And God will give all of you into our hands. By my count, seven different times. David, in his defiance and his speaking to the giant, he uses the, the word Lord or God. He refers to God again and again and again. The point is David wasn't looking to his own skill with a slingshot. He was skilled. 
Trust me, as a shepherd, he had skills when it came to using the sling. I've seen them, and, and they're, they're amazing what they can do. He, but he wasn't putting his confidence there. He wasn't self-confident. He was God-confident. He said, the battle is the Lord's. God's gonna take care of me. God's gonna defeat you. The battle's the Lord's. David put his confidence and his hope. He fixed his mind and eyes on the Lord. David's eyes weren't fixed on the giant. And how many times in my life, in your life, have we had this thing come against us, this financial, relational, physical, whatever, some sort of giant come into our, and all we see is that thing that's right in front of us. And it's overshadowing everything. We can't sleep, we toss and turn, we worry, we fret, we, we stress out about it because all we see is the giant. David modeled for us a different way. He fixed his eyes on God over and over again. He said, it's the Lord, it's God, it's the Lord, it's God, it's the Lord Almighty. He's where I put my hope. David's eyes weren't fixed on the giant. They were fixed on God. And that's where he put his confidence. And that's what we need to do. If you and I are gonna defeat the giants in our lives, we've got to learn to look to the giant defeater, to God, and put our confidence and our hope in him. When we are focused on the overwhelming size of the giants rather than the overwhelming presence and power of God, then we're destined for defeat. And I don't say that to be negative, it's just reality. If you stay focused on the giant and that power and that presence in your life rather than the overcoming, overwhelming presence and power of God in your life, then you're not gonna overcome that giant. In fact, what will happen is you'll lose heart. And the Bible talks about this. David mentions it here in verse 32. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart. Why did David say that? Because they were losing heart. The king had lost heart. The Israelites had lost heart. His own brothers had lost heart. He said, stop it. Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. I'm gonna go and I'm gonna kick his tush. Watch what God will do through me because God is bigger. And the apostle Paul, who had his fair share of giants in his life, wrote this in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16 to 18. He says, therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Verse 17 always kills me, it cracks me up. For our light and momentary troubles, do you have any idea what Paul's light and momentary troubles were? He was, read the book of Acts, shipwrecked, stoned, flogged, put in prison, not just once, multiple times. I mean, this guy lived a tough life, he calls it, but our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. How could Paul say that? Verse 18, so we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary but what is unseen is eternal. Fixing our eyes on what is unseen means developing an eternal perspective. It means looking to God. It means seeing beyond the natural and the temporary. And by the way, I don't say this lightly. I don't say this to, to downplay or to poo-poo any of the struggles you're facing right now. But let me just tell you this. That giant you're dealing with is temporary. You are eternal. That giant is not. God is eternal. That giant is not. And what we need to do sometimes is step back and get a perspective that says, yeah, this really sucks. I don't like this thing. This hurts. This is painful. This is hard. But that's not the end of the story. God is bigger. I'm going to put my confidence and my hope in him. Putting your eyes on the Lord means acknowledging that you're dependent on him and that you can't do it alone. One of the biggest struggles most of us had to face before we became Christ followers was coming to the point where we said, I need God. I need a Savior. I need help. I need forgiveness, I need mercy. We've gotta to come to the point where we realize we cannot do it on our own. Jesus said in John 15, unless you abide in me and I abide in you, you can't do anything. 
You're just going to wither up and die. But if you live in me, dwell in me, if you let me live and dwell in you, then nothing is impossible. We need to try and see things differently and learn to put our eyes in the right place and on the right person. Because here's the bottom line, guys. Ultimately, we've only got two options when faced with the giant. We can run and hide, which is what the Israelites did before David defeated Goliath, or we can face that giant in faith, in Christ, in him, through him, and overcome. I'm encouraging you today, whatever giant you're facing in your life right now, and some of you I know your stories, most of you I don't. But whether it's a giant at work, a giant in your marriage, a giant in, with your kids, a giant in other relationships, a giant in your finances, a giant in your health, whatever it is, tune your ears to hear God, listen to his voice. Ask him to speak to you, read the word. Ask the Holy Spirit to guide you, lead you. Ask for godly, wise counsel and advice from others that you trust that love Jesus. Listen to him and then choose. And it's a choice. It, it's the hardest choice when we're in the midst of the battle. But we choose to fix our eyes on him. Listen to the right voice. Look to the right person. Let me tell you one last story. I'm going to pray for you. I'm done. Most of you know, about five and a half, six years ago, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer. And uh, I was terrified. And I was not afraid of dying. I was 54 years old at the time, and uh, it wasn't death that terrified me. It was the potential lifelong implications of having my prostate removed, to be quite honest with you, and, 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 the, and all, cancer, the C word. And so I started, you know, I, I did what most of us do. I turned to the all-wise internet, and I started researching. I, you know, I love the internet, and I hate the internet. There's so much information out there, and and I started reading, and, and I bought books, and my doctor gave me a book, and I talked to friends, and I found out real quick, man, there's a club, there's a whole bunch of guys, this is, it's, not, it's not really that small a club either, who've had the same procedure, and then you find out who, they, hey, dude, I had that, let me tell you what, I went through it, and it's like, okay, thanks, I, I think that's helpful, you know, and you get all this information, and people, oh, you need to do this, you have radiation, no, you need to, you need to have them remove that puppy, no, you know, just won't worry about it, just, you'd probably die of something else before you die of prostate cancer, blah, blah, all these voices, then I'm talking to my general physician, I'm talking to urologists, all these doctors and all these medical people, and I frankly I was getting like, I don't know what to do. So I did exactly what I've asked you to do today. I got alone with Jesus early one morning, because I wasn't sleeping anyhow, you know, and I, and I got on my face and I said, oh God, I don't know what to do. I need you. Show me what to do, Lord. And I, and I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me. It wasn't an audible voice, but gave me direction. And instantly, boom, just like that, I had peace. By the way, follow the peace. Follow the peace. I had peace, and I knew, it was, I knew in my knower, this is what God wants me to do. So I opted for the surgical route. And then I went through that. And I'm thinking, okay, God's going to take care of me. It's going to be all right. For five days, some of you remember the story. Five days, not five hours, five stinking days I had the hiccups. And it was miserable. Okay, women, imagine you've had a uh, cesarean section, and you've had your gut ripped open, and you have hiccups for five days. Painful. Some of you guys can't relate to that, so I'm trying to think of a, I, I don't know. But here's the deal. It was extremely, it was excruciating. I, I, I was in a lot of pain, and I tried everything. I mean, I tried everything. And everybody had an idea. You know, try drinking water upside down. How do you do that? I don't know. Eat like, jars of peanut butter. I ate like 20 jars of peanut, or peanut butter. Do this, try that. I had tried acupuncture. I tried everything. Five days I had the hiccups, and I was miserable, and I was discouraged, and I was in pain, and I was frustrated. And finally, I came to the point, I wish it had happened a lot sooner, where I just, okay, God, I may spend the rest of my, I read something that said some people have hiccups after surgery their entire life. 
Oh, that's helpful. Okay, God, if I have hiccups for the rest of my life, I'm still going to trust in you. I'm going to fix my eyes on you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen to you, and I'm going to focus my attention on you. It was within a few hours after that that the hiccups went away. Go figure. Guys, I'm telling you from experience, and I'm telling you from the Word, we need to listen to the right voice and look to the right person. Because there's giants in our lives, and how do we defeat them? That's how. And what, we, what do we have to remember? God is bigger. He's always bigger. Bye, let me pray for you. Father, thank you that no matter what we face in this life, and I know many just looking around the room, Lord, I know some are facing some really big giants right now. I know that no matter what we deal with on this side of eternity, that you're bigger, that you're greater, that you're stronger, and that you want to empower us and help us and stand with us, and that you've promised to never forsake us, never leave us, that you can give us, Lord, what we can never find in any other way. So many of us, Lord, and me included, we've looked for answers in in technology. We've looked for answers in drugs. We've looked for answers in alcohol. We've looked for answers in in relationships. We've looked for answers in so many things. When you're there the entire time saying, turn to me, look to me, come to me. Jesus, you said it, come to me, all you're weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Lord, I pray that right now in this moment, my friends who I love deeply, those people sitting in this room or those watching online, Lord, I pray that in this moment they would look beyond the giant that they're facing, they'd look to you. That they would tune their ear to hear you, your voice. Speak to us, God. Help us to to be focused on you no matter what because I know that's where change comes and that's where victory comes. That's where we overcome the giants in our lives. Keep your head bowed and your eyes closed just for a minute. Maybe you're here today and you've not yet started your life as a Christ follower. And I'm going to give you an opportunity, just a moment, to make that decision. Every week, two or three. Last week, nine people picked up New Believers packets. The weekend I talk about money, go figure. But guys, nine people last week said yes to Jesus. And if you're here today and you're ready to begin your life's a Christ follower, and you're ready to face the biggest giant of all, your sin. And you will never get good enough to overcome your sin. You'll never clean up your act enough to overcome the enemy. Yourself, the sin, your history, your guilt, your shame. Jesus said, I've already conquered that for you on the cross. I beat that for you. And what he offers us is the free gift of salvation, grace, mercy. He says, just take it from me. I did this for you. If you're ready to embrace his gift of salvation and begin your life as Christ follower, I'm pray a very simple prayer. Just make this prayer yours right now. Jesus, thank you that you paid on that cross the penalty for my sin. I get it. You died for me. And in your death and in your resurrection, you overcame the giant of death, the giant of sin, the giant of despair, the giant of guilt, the giant of shame in my life. And today I I embrace that gift you offer to me, mercy, forgiveness, grace. I say yes to you. I want to follow you. I want to surrender my life to you. I'm yours. Deal with me as you will, God. I'm yours. From this day forward, from here into eternity, I'm just going to keep my eyes fixed on you. God, I'm all in. I may not be all there yet, but I'm all in. Thank you for loving me. I love you. Now, if that's you, your own way to say, yep, God, that's me. It's what I want. The Bible says that instant, that moment you say yes to him, you become his child. You're his. The Holy Spirit now lives within you. Lord, seal on the hearts of those making that decision what it means that they are yours, that they're your kid now. They belong to you, that they're forgiven. 
they can leave here today brand new because of you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. I'm going to encourage you to stay for this last song. I know sometimes people book out here quick, but man, this song is powerful. And it's an opportunity to declare what God has done for you. Let's worship. One last song, I'll come back and wrap it up.